is I won't be needing this anymore. I'll be standing up again. So um, that that's my goal anyway. I, as I was laying right after my surgery Wednesday a week ago, uh, they were asking me how I was doing, you know, one thing or another, telling my wife, they can't do this, they can't do this, they can't do this. And I, I just, I looked up and I said, I am going to preach Sunday week. You cannot tell me not. And they said, okay. So um, that has been my goal all along, okay? I've had little incremental goals that I've wanted to do, and I have uh, my, the general at home, my wife, has made sure that I've stayed on the straight and narrow, and I will continue to do so for the next, um, well, up to a year, I guess, on some things. So um, that's just part of what it is. But I thank you all for the encouragements, for letting me know that you were praying for me. Just, it's great to have church family. Sometimes church family is better than family. They're closer than family. And that's the way it ought to be. If we're going to spend eternity together, you know, this is, this is the beginning. When we accept Christ as Savior, as Brett was alluding to earlier, when, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, when we profess that faith, eternity starts for us. An eternity of life. And I know of no better way to begin to explore that eternity than to spend it with people that we love. You know, I mean, to me, that's what it's all about. But in the meantime, as we strive each and every day to do the will of God, we, we have to work. We have to struggle. Uh, there's oftentimes um, doubts. There's pains. There's the physical end of things and we know that this body breaks down uh, from the minute we're born until the minute we're called home and yet we can be here today you know we may have aches and pains and all that kind of good stuff but we can be here today uh, from as far away as southern california and welcome from as far away as tennessee and welcome or as far away as our homes here in rock hill welcome but think each day about what the Lord has done for you. That, that's the best thing that you can do. We want to be an encouragement to each other. We want to be held accountable to each other. Uh, because that's what good brothers and sisters want to do. But we also have that opportunity to think about how the Lord has driven our lives. How He has kept us safe thus far. And for that we can be thankful. Before we read the scriptures this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. Uh, as we go into the fall, Lord, it's just we get to see your mastery of, of the arts, as, as it were, the art of, of nature, the art of uh, our weather, the way the world is at this moment. We're not happy with it because we've done so much to mess it up. And yet, each and every day, you give us fresh and new your grace and mercies. So the, the artistry of the day is just icing on the cake to us. We ask you now, if you would, would you bless uh, your word today? Um, as your spirit leads us, uh, would you guide us in the direction that you want us to go, that we might honor and glorify you in all that we do and all that we say? 
And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have three verses once again from the Proverbs. If you will stand with me while I read these, I would greatly appreciate it. I'm going to drop this just a little bit. Yeah, okay. We're going to be reading Proverbs 14, 21 first. This is where it's written, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. From Proverbs 16, verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And then Proverbs 29, verse 8. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What comes to your mind when you're given these words to think about? Joy, contentment, inner peace, happiness. Well, now, we've just opened up a whole new world of ideas, haven't we? I mean, I suppose part of the equation to your answer might be just what phase of life are you in at this moment? For instance, what would make you happy when you were a child might have been a trip to grandma's house. Maybe there was Christmas. There were birthdays. There were summer vacations. Maybe a trip to the beach. Maybe a trip even to the mountains. Maybe it was something as simple as your favorite dessert if you got good grades that six-week period. And, of course, ice cream. How about as you were getting a little bit older? Perhaps beginning to to notice the opposite sex for something different than a playmate. The first date, that first girlfriend, you're, you're maybe noticing sports for the first time. Your circle of friends is growing. But then there's always those standbys that you've had your entire life. You know, the summer vacations, Christmas, birthdays. All those things still hang around in the favorite category. And, of course, ice cream. Ice cream goes throughout your entire life. Then after college, still some of the most fond and, for me, less fond, I suppose, remembrances of my life came the first job, marriage, kids. Life then became more about survival. Oftentimes, the joy and contentment you experience in younger days has somehow taken a back seat to living life. You look at one day much like the day before. You you put one foot in front of the other. You, You pay for others' joy of Christmas and birthdays and vacations at the beach and so on. There's there's no more summer vacation for most of us unless you're a teacher. And then all you're trying to do is just recharge your batteries before the onslaught of another school year begins. Just a couple of months later. I'll stop right there for a second and give you another insight into my life. I know my life better than just about anybody else's, but if you would like to fill me in on your life experiences, I'll be glad to put your life up here before the congregation to listen in on. Not just the good stuff now, okay? You can't just give me the highlights and all of that kind of stuff. 
If you're going to do it, you've got to give me the bonehead moves that you've had too. All of the things that you've done good, all of the things that have happened that have been bad, you've got to let me know these things. Otherwise, you listen about my life. It has to be an equal opportunity living experience here, okay? In the meantime, you get me once again. My wife and I were expecting twins about seven or eight months after we got married. To clarify, we were married in May, and we found out she was expecting in December. Back then, as young as we were, everybody would look at their watches and their calendars and say, okay, she's going to start showing here in the next couple of months. Not true. This didn't happen from May until December. Ha! Anyway. No, we were not ready to be parents, quite frankly. At least I wasn't. Kids were for other people. They were not for me. And I suppose in late April or May, the doctor suspected she might be having twins. And so we go to the x-ray office. Back then, they didn't have ultrasounds and all this other kind of stuff. All they could see was two objects in the lady's stomach or one object in the lady's stomach. They, by x-ray, they couldn't do it any other way. There's no finding out about the gender. You got what you got when you got it. Or in this case, you know, there, there were two. So, you know, there again, you, you got what you got. The nurse, the nurse comes out to tell us that we indeed were going to have twins. And all I remember saying is, well, isn't that just great? <laughs> that nurse lit into me, letting me know very quickly what a blessing from God that we would get. And I'm thinking, I can't afford one kid much less two. But this is still two more than I really wanted. I was not the nicest person to know back when I was much younger. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, not the same person that I, that I am today, at least I hope anyway. Some may disagree. Huh? <laughs> anyway, but God, you see, had a little twist for me. The next year we were expecting my son whom I dearly love, along with my daughter. Yeah. Okay? If y'all, some of y'all don't know, my daughter's sitting right up here. <laughs> anyway, August 5th, 1974, my son Mike was born. <clears throat> and since that day, since August the 5th, 1974, there has not been a day that my wife and I have been married that there has not been children living in our home. We have helped raise children or raise children for 48 of the 50 years that we have been married. You want to know, want to know the greatest joy in my life? <clears throat> Next to my love for Jesus Christ and my love for my wife and my love for my family is my love for my kids. There, there's nothing greater than loving children. But God, you see, didn't stop right there. He has given me a desire, a love, for children, period. I love little people. <clears throat> Maybe it's because I have the IQ of a child. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm probably not the only one, the way it sounds, that thinks that either. But that's okay. I am a fierce defender of children and their rights as well. Don't do anything harmful to a child. Nothing makes me matter. <clears throat> But you see, my point here is the joys in our lives 
can change so much as time goes on. But that's not the end of it all. You young folks who are maybe in that period of not being able to find much joy or contentment in your life, better days are coming. As we age and the day-to-day struggles we, we have at one time or another, I, I don't know of anybody who maybe carry those struggles into older age. But we begin to understand that all these things that we went through as younger people, whether you had children or not, all the sacrifice that you had, had to make and all that you have made in that time period, it was done for a purpose. It was done for a reason. That purpose may be different for all of us. I can't say. But it seems to me that as we age, we are able to stop long enough to appreciate everything just a little bit more. Yes, we worry about younger generations. Yes, we see how the world has changed so much, and arguably perhaps not for the better. And yet our joys and contentment Maybe even our inner peace and happiness in life seem to become more apparent as we grow older. Is it because we slow down and smell the roses a bit better? For me, until this back deal kicked in a few months back, I was actually working more in retirement than I was when I was actually working for a living. To a point, I'm doing things within the denomination right now that carry with it a tremendous amount of responsibility and pressure at times. I'll be glad when July 1st, 2024 gets here so I can drop those responsibilities and just do what I, I enjoy doing. And that's preaching and teaching and visiting with folks. But until then, we work but not without joy. However, I have a greater appreciation for my family, those that I've helped raise, those who are new to my family, and those I've known all my life or maybe all of their lives. They're quite valuable to me. My family and my faith are what give me the greatest comfort in life. Oh yeah, baseball and other sports, they got a little place in there too. There's a lot of happiness, especially like if it was last night around 11 o'clock when Carolina finally beat Georgia State. That was was a reason to be happy. Uh, But the Yankees, on the other hand, no, Justin, it's over. Anyway. Okay. I've spilled out myself to you all again, so I'm going to turn the tables and ask you now, what gives you joy? What gives you peace? What gives you contentment? What gives you happiness in your life? How have those things been changed? Maybe even been reinvented in your life as time goes on. I guess we all search for those magic things that make us understand that what we have right now is the best thing that we could have at that particular time. I I don't know. Even in difficult times, we can eventually look back and perhaps glean one thing positive out of the circumstances that were occurring at that particular moment. I hope and pray that this is the case for every one of us, at least. But as well, maybe we search for 
for so long for the elusive thing or person to come into our lives that define who or what we are and will be for the rest of our days. And maybe we're still searching. I don't know. Maybe we're looking at the wrong place or the wrong places to find that seemingly elusive happiness that we are so desperately looking for in this life. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but the concern of money in our lives oftentimes dictate to us whether or not the needle on our happiness scale moves a little or a lot. And yet, there are so many people that are so unhappy because even though they do have an abundant amount of money, they lack for nothing. And yet they are some of the unhappiest people on earth. Let's look again to our reading from the Proverbs today, one passage at a time, and see if we can get some sense out of where we can find happiness and contentment in life. I want to go back to Proverbs 14.21, but I want to go back one verse previous to that, okay? Verse 20. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. And then 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. You remember our study sometime back on the Sermon on the Mount? Remember the Beatitudes, the blessed are statements that Jesus made in Matthew 5? Well, we have another Beatitude here, not from Jesus, although Jesus did preach along this same thinking, in essence, what we're talking about right here. Happiness, we'll find happiness by being generous to the poor, by giving to the poor. By being or doing this, you will find contentment in your life. Maybe you'll even find joy. But let's back it up just a tad here. Let's put 20 and 21 together, and maybe this will help complete our thought. While the rich have many friends, the poor probably won't. In fact, the poor probably will be despised by the rich more than likely even by his neighbor. If your neighbor doesn't have the same car that we have, perhaps he doesn't live the life that we live, and you look down on him for whatever reason, Proverbs says, hate him, strong word, but it's the word here. You are a sinner, plain and simple. That's tough. Now let's look at the word hate in this context for just a second. Here we are in essence saying that a poor neighbor will be abandoned or ignored or even rejected. So if we indeed have an extreme disregard or bias for our neighbor, do you think God's going to be happy with that action on our part? I sincerely say no. We could try to dissect what constitutes rich and poor here. Because you can be rich financially, but you can be flat broke spiritually. Or on the flip side, we may, have, we may know of someone who doesn't have a, a dime to their name, but they may be so content in their spirit that God has blessed them with, it would more than compensate for anything that they may lack in the way of, of financial riches especially. If we see two men walking along the street, one dressed for success, we often say, and another fellow that uh, has tattered jeans, 
and maybe a dirty shirt on. Who are we going to gyrate towards? Chances are pretty good it won't be the guy who's not so well dressed. In fact, we may even go to the other side of the street to keep from coming in contact with that guy because we may be thinking one of two things about this person. He's either going to try to rob me or he's going to bum for money. Now, I have been there, okay? I am ashamed to say I have avoided people like that. Maybe you have too. I don't know. It's so easy to fall into that pit though, isn't it? Here's another one. I don't think it's going to happen here. I've seen this happen other, in other places. I've known about it. And I know that we have not done it this way. But I want to give you this example. One, we have uh, two visitors come in. One is well-dressed. His family's all neat and clean. They, they come into the parking lot in a rather nice-looking SUV. They have a sticker on the back of the car that they're supporters of some big school, and you find out after conversation with them that the wife and the, the husband went to that school. They're new in town. The pastor, the officers of the church, and their wives all flock around that family. Maybe even offer to take these folks out to the country club for lunch after church that morning. Nothing but the best for that family, right? But remember, we said there were two visitors that day. The other fellow has on his cleanest blue jeans, a shirt that you swear you gave to the local care center just a week or two before. You find out his address. It's in a neighborhood that has really gone down in the last few years. In fact, he walked to church that morning and yours just happened to be the closest church that he could find. He doesn't know what being a methobacterian is all about. It's a church with people in it. And that's what he needed. He needed to be around people. He needed Jesus that particular morning. And he thought that was going to be the best place to find him. You find out that he's living with, with other members of his family because he hasn't had great success with jobs in the last couple of years. Maybe, maybe you find out he's been in AA for a while now and struggling with that. He just has a monkey on his back that he cannot shake. Does anyone welcome him to worship that morning? Well, maybe perhaps the greeter for that day does because he's the greeter. He's got to do it. Maybe someone offers him a lift home after church, but that's about it. There's a lot of people who live in that area. You know that area well, and you stay away from it, but you'll drive them home. You just don't want to have to expose your children to that place. You certainly can't walk with him to the house. Your car may get stolen. You think that's an exaggeration, folks? I don't. What are we being told here? When we ignore people like that, be it downtown on the street or even here in the church, it's wrong. It's a sin. We're being told that right here in Proverbs 14. Let's move on to Proverbs 16, 20. You know, another way to have contentment, joy, or happiness, maybe inner peace, 
in your life is to have a sense of knowledge or wisdom in your life. Now again, I have to say this study in Proverbs was partly designed to direct our thinking toward gaining wisdom and knowing what to do with it once we get it. How many times in our lives have we been left out of the loop of some commonplace knowledge with, that with those around you? Maybe it's in the family. Maybe it's at work. could be about anywhere. Kind of gives you a little feeling of uneasiness, doesn't it? Gives you a sense of inner turmoil when you're not able to know what everyone else knows. My grandson's other grandmother was telling us not long ago some distressing news that she received in a roundabout way about one of her children. Seems one of her sons has a serious disease. She found that out from someone who wasn't even in her family. And how she found out, I have no idea. Maybe it was a breach of the HIPAA laws. That's something really we're not going to go too terribly far in, Helen. One of her... Shelly? Yes, thank you. Anyway, but suffice it to say that when she was told this information by this friend of hers, it knocked her for a loop. She had no idea. She asked about her son, and, and he simply told her that he had cancer and he was dying. Nothing more, nothing less. I can't imagine what that blow might have felt like to her. She told us the only person that she might be able to get any information out of would be her son's wife. But until then, she told us that she had not been sleeping. She really wasn't much good to anyone. She had no sense of peace about anything in her life because she'd been left out of this information. For even when she gets that knowledge, I'm not sure that that's going to change anything for her. That unease is just going to be changed in a, in a, manifested in another way. But at least she'll be wiser for it, for what that's worth. So you see, some knowledge, while taking angst away, may not be able to give us the joy or, or contentment, maybe even inner peace that we want or that we're looking for. Thankfully, she has a faith in God. And that is what kept, has kept her sane, I guess, maybe for lack of a better way of putting it, since she found out a couple of months ago. But when we gain the knowledge or wisdom we at times crave, we can come to some sense of a settled spirit within ourselves. Yet we're born without a particular knowledge that we really need in order to gain an eternal joy, peace, or happiness. Look at Solomon again. We think so often that, that he had plenty of money. He would have had no worries. If we'd had money like him, we wouldn't have a care in the world. And yet look at Solomon. He had a boatload of money. Riches beyond comprehension. But when he came into power and God gave him whatever he wanted, you remember what he asked for? Look at 1 Kings 3 verse 9. He asked for wisdom. You know what he got? Notice what God gave him. 1 Kings 3, 10 through 14. When he asked for wisdom, God gave him more wealth, more power, and more success. 
Yet even with God's gift of wisdom to him, Solomon lost his way. The book of Ecclesiastes goes into detail how uh, Solomon veered off of the beaten path. And he warns us not to do what he did, but to do what he is saying to do. To pursue continuously the wisdom of God. To, as it says in verse 20, to give thought to the Word. In this case, we know it as God's Word. What will happen if we do that? We'll discover good. If we trust in that Word and in the One who gave it to us, we will be blessed. Eternally blessed. And therein is great happiness, joy, inner peace, and contentment. In essence, if we seek God's wisdom through His Word, we will receive the blessings of joy, peace, and contentment eternally. However, we will, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we will gain an unquenchable desire from God's, to learn from God's Word and, a, and His wisdom that will follow us all the days of our lives. That desire to keep learning and growing in that word. Now, granted, Solomon speaks to one who has had to endure hardships in his life. But it's because of this that he can speak to us with such knowledge and experience. He is simply trying to spare us the heartache that he had to endure even before he found his way back to God once again. So we see that even if we had God's wisdom at one point in our lives and we walk away from that, there is the possibility of retrieving it as Solomon did. I've spent too much time now on these first two passages. Proverbs 29 verse 8 is our last. I'm afraid I only really did Proverbs 16, 20 a half service. You can look at that and if you have a commentary that you can study that you trust, you should be able to get a little bit more information on that particular passage. Maybe even discuss it a little bit further in your microgroup. Proverbs 29.8 Scoffers set city aflame, but the wise turneth away wrath. Or, if you want to look at it from a little bit of a different standpoint, 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Let's look at it from another uh, positive perspective. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And lastly, where else can we get a better example than from Jesus? Look at Mark 1, 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, meaning Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. There he prayed. You see the habit start, uh, Jesus started very early in his ministry That time away from everyone where he was in the presence of his God, his Father in heaven. Now, back to our verse from Proverbs 20. Does this mean that the scoffer is going to turn into an arson when it talks about the city being ablaze, setting a, a, a city aflame? No, that's not what it means at all. He's going to sin. That's what he's talking about. His desire for sin is going to continue to increase. And those sins will trap him. 
scoffer would be one who scoffs at hearing and studying God's word, at praying, at fellowshipping, at all of the things that are designed to give us strength together. They would scoff at those particular things. It's one who considers Christ and Him crucified foolishness as a stumbling block. They're called the perishing. Perishing in their own sins as we see in 1 Corinthians 1.18. These sins catch us and begrudgingly don't want to let us go. But back to what our subject was this morning concerning happiness or joy or contentment or inner peace. Any way you want to look at it here. The last part of verse 8, but the wise turneth away wrath. Now how do we do that? By studying again and reading God's word. By praying without ceasing. By remaining in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be held accountable one to another. So that we can stay strong. So that your iron can sharpen my iron. And so that we can grow together stronger in God's word. But we've got to have the right spirit. Not one of scoffing. Or of doubting God's word to us. But immersing ourselves in in his word and living a Christ-like existence. As we do that, we are in essence turning Satan or wrath away from us. James 4 verse 7 tells us if we cling to God, Satan will flee from us. But you see, we got to want to do it. This won't just happen. Today I ask you, are you ready to be happy? I mean fully happy. I mean eternally happy. Are you ready to give everything that is you up to God? To know that that inner peace, that joy, that happiness is something only He can provide. For you see, that's where it all begins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another lesson in Proverbs. Seeking you out. Seeking your will for our lives. Seeking happiness and joy, peace and contentment in you. For we know that all things of this earth are temporary. But with you, all things are eternal. Thank you, Lord, for harsh examples, and yet they're examples that we need to hear. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for just having been with us this day. And would you bless us with a greater understanding of this, your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.